here we go. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yastrzemski booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. All right, it's the post-Green Bay edition of Entitled Town. Hello, hello friends. This is Mike Irons. Uh, we're going back to the roots of Entitled Town. Our very first guest, uh, Matt, I have to ask you before we start. Matt Chatham, I think I'm contractually obliged to refer to you as a three-time Super Bowl champion. Monday yeah. Night Football last night, Bobby Wagner levels a streaker, and no one's mentioning you. You leveled a streaker in Super Bowl 38. What would have happened to your life uh, on social if social media existed back then, leveling the street, doing God's work? Right, exactly. That, it, it's amazing how most of the sort of like furor with that, or I guess uh, the, the awareness, I guess, publicly actually came in years after. It was wild because it was such an in-stadium experience because the, the people at home were generally talking about the the nipple, right? The, the, the Janet Jackson thing. It was more who experienced it there inside the stadium that saw the streaker thing and Fox cut away from it. So they didn't want people at home to really see it. So it kind of got a life of its own later on with a few from the stands recordings, <laughs> NFL securities and NFL media uh, found clips later. But I think in the moment, you know, there wasn't enough. Yeah. We had flip phones, a Bruder film coverage of your attack. <laughs> on that one was, <laughs> was the dude completely naked. Uh, no, you, you, and that's the other thing. You're gonna have your big moment. You're known as this this naked streaker, and he went with the sort of cod piece, the little football thing. So uh, emphasis on little. So I don't know. Like I, I would just. It was always weird to me that if like that was your shtick, if your whole bag was I'm the streaker guy, to not actually go the whole way. It's like the the, the Costanza deal, like bodysuit man. Yeah, Spotty Superman. He's like the shy streaker. Like you're gonna be the naked streaker. Be the naked streaker. But uh, this guy went. Uh, 97% of the way, I guess. So you had a larger strike zone than most NFL defensive ends <laughs> have on a quarterback then. So that was, he had that going for you, which is nice. <laughs> and here I am arguing for wishing he had less on. That's not really what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move on then. Uh, <laughs> please, please, please. Pats go to Lambeau. Uh, they lose in overtime 27 to 24. I used the term on Twitter about a moral victory, which has been a phrase of contention within the entitled town ranks. But um, did anything about Sunday's loss at Green Bay bring back uh, memories of playing the Rams on a Sunday night at Foxborough years ago where you threw a man, it seems like everybody was encouraged after that loss? Right. And, and I, I think that's a good that's a good way back recollection. I, I think in part because this this does happen throughout the course of a season in a locker room where you get signs and signals that aren't how it's being digested outside the locker room. You do, and it can happen exactly in the opposite direction too. I'm not saying these are always positive ones where you get moments where, okay, physically incapable, right? You start to learn about ceilings around the room uh, and that that can be terrifying, right? But the, the alternative can be as well, where you're like, you know what? We're not going to see a better quarterback than that from here on out. We're, we're, we're not going to see a better X, Y, and Z. And good grief, we screwed it up again. You know what I mean? That can almost register as capable but not getting it done, which can cause the proper kind of, of furor, I guess, in a locker room and, and really motivate guys. Because you do sort of get these cues throughout the year of what your capabilities are. And 
when you find out you're highly capable but not accomplishing that that can that can be a sort of something that I guess people uh, rally around. But again, it's all talking BS if you don't do something about it. But I think they've continually learned that they're good enough all four weeks. They just got to stop sort of shooting themselves or just not quite taking it across the line. You know, there was a lot of stuff back when in the early days of the dynasty when you were playing about it was the other ways. Like you guys were making that one play. You guys were winning those close games. What's the the, mar the margin of victory in professional football as we're experiencing on the other side now really is super, super thin. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, that's perfect. And honestly, I, I wish I wish people could digest go back and watch those games that you have so much, you know, so such positive recollections of. Go back and watch those and add in a false start at exactly the wrong time. Add in mm -hmm. a, a, not necessarily, a, you know, some magical play call, but an execution where a guy catches a pass in the tightest window. It just had to be in a certain spot. It had to be secured. He had to do the right thing after with the ball or the secure tackle that, that you know, gets him at – gets them at fourth and two as opposed to the fall forward that gets across the line. Like mm -hmm. all these tiny little things, execution of the kick game, uh, you know, any little minute thing. I, I go back to uh, this this last game, uh, the, the opening drive for the Packers. There are basically two plays, and it's either two in a row or two out of three, where they got sort of pitch man sequencing out of whack. It was a flip play. There was a reverse, though, the Wilkins kid, I think. Um, but a little of that is like sort of pretty positive operation and the play call puts three guys in the, the one play I'm thinking of where, it, where Aaron Jones bounced outside the play call had actually a defensive play call had actually put a couple dudes with wide of widest blockers. So you've, you've really sort of got what you need there, but then you had eyes in the backfield and their bodies are turned a little bit and it's sort of you're close, but you didn't execute what was given to you kind of thing. And I just always think that if we, digested football that way understanding that it's not you're fucking awesome or you fucking suck it's more you're you're who just really did the right thing in the right moment and we weren't just so many miles more better physically or mentally or even than than some of these groups that have not had as much success it's just that little thin hair that that we got done and that's why it's kind of it, it's it's a hard message to sell. I mean, I've been working on it for 20 years and it's only getting through to a percentage of people, obviously. But uh, it's it's uh, it is really how it works. Uh, Bell, the entitled dog, uh, really, really liked the, the first point you made there. The Packers mm -hmm. ran for 199 yards on Sunday. The Patriots had some injuries up front. The secondary is pretty good. McCourty's in the secondary. He did allow a, a touchdown during the game. But the secondary is good. They're starting to work some of the younger players in. The defensive line, generally solid. Um, what? How do you feel about the linebacker play? I feel like they're looking for something at linebacker. Yeah, so one thing I noticed that was a little odd last week uh, in this Packers game is Tavai. I hope I'm saying his last name right. Yeah, uh, you are. Sort of bounce from sometimes an inside guy. He was on the edge uh, a couple times for, for a couple series. Um, he's sort of a – and he's had some solid plays. I mean, he has a sack early on. I believe that was the Miami game. He's had some negative plays. Some He's, he's certainly a thumper. Um, he In one of those plays I was referencing where there was sort of an edge issue with the uh, with his, either the flip, flip player out leveraged on the sort of little mini jet motion -y reverse kind of thing. That's one where it's sort of your far side away from where the play is coming and it's more of an awareness thing. But – Quite frankly, when you take inside guys and throw them out on the edge for play, they often don't see the picture uh, that well because they're just not used to it. 
So th there's been little ones like that where it, it doesn't seem like they're entirely set on who goes where and who's best at where. You know, we know Judon is is a rock star at his particular role, but they'll like to move him around inside and then pop people to the edges who are a little less adept there. Anthony Jennings has been good in games and then gone. Is Uche still a part of this? You know, he's got sort of an amorphous role that is a little hard to, to figure. Bentley's been steady and strong as he, as he usually always is. Uh, Mac Wilson's been in and out, you know, sort of, it seemed like Tavai is actually really taking reps from him, or at least role wise. If you're in sort of a longer need to cover more space kind of stuff, that seems to be when that, that switch out happens. But yeah, I would say there's still uh, Raekwon McMillan. I mean, I believe he was inactive last week. I hope I got that right, but maybe that's not right. But he, same thing uh, has had a good game and then has been gone. So it does look like they've got a lot of pieces. They just, it's, it's really hard to, as an outside person, say, hey, here's their four. All things are, you know, going in the direction they want them to go. Here's who you'll expect to be on the field. And here's what they really, really do well. I, I think they're really kind of still working through that. Coach Belichick has said, he's on record this year as uh, saying with the reduced preseason, uh, reduced hitting, of course, from when back when you were playing, that yeah. the first part of the season, the first month or so, is an extension of the preseason. Uh, the Jones, the Jones brothers that aren't brothers, the rookies, uh, played more last week. Are we going to see more of that from the young guys coming in, uh, fresh being worked into the rotation? Is that emblematic of what happened with the, the electric return, the pick six, uh, yeah, yeah. by those guys? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Uh, this is corny as all hell, but I, you know, I had the thought, so I have to share it. I don't have much of a filter. I, just the idea that you might have three Jones on the field in the same secondary at the time. Has that ever happened? <laughs> That's like a pro football reference kind of question. I don't know, but you could potentially have Jonathan on one side, Marcus at the other and Jack in a slot or however that thing works out. But I think what we're talking through here though, is sort of the, the general excitement that there's a lot of good pieces and a little frustration that, it hasn't all fit yet, but Jack looks like a baller. You know, Marcus was getting the time more prior to when Jack got to call called up here because of because uh, of Mills being down. But it, it seems like they have a collection of options, which you always like to see. Uh, even like the Jabril Peppers thing, I know, which is not not necessarily a young guy. Um, he's youngish, but a uh, new team kind of deal. He's he's sort of that. Hey, you had the terrible Duggar thing. Uh, you lose him for a week after he was just crushing it for a couple. And you have a bit of a safety blanket there, that's still a pretty high end player uh, who's kind of looking for a role and trying to figure out where he fits. So I just like that, you know, it, most days. And, and I think that's, uh, this is touching off one of your earlier points, Mike, but just the, the notion that they were a little thin in the run game, I think speaks to the kind of groups they're putting on the field and what they're more, concerned about quite frankly when you face Aaron mm -hmm. you know they were not going with four bigs down <laughs> and, and the big linebackers they were filling the filling the filling the world with defensive backs and the kind of defensive linemen who generally pass rush better than than two gap and hold so um that seemed to be you know it wasn't quite the old Denver thing for years ago that home game where they just concede 250 on the ground, but never let Peyton, you know, have it in his hands. And they went that route. I don't think it was necessary. This, they were still attempting to, to stop runs and didn't, but you can kind of tell if you're looking at matchups in December or January and stuff like that, when this team hopefully has matured to their highest point, whatever that's going to be there, they look like from a personnel standpoint, the kind of group that would match up better against groups that want to spread it out. that want to spread it around to three and four receivers that aren't, you know, Cleveland able, or even, you know, Green Bay, who right now seems to be one of the better running teams in the league. The teams that are built to be big and to bloody your nose, 
can be a mismatch if you've got a bunch of 230 pound linebackers mm-hmm. and six safeties on the field or whatever being facetious but uh that's that that seems to be the style they're leaning more towards um and when a guy like lawrence guy is out and mm-hmm. godchild maybe not gonna get as much work your your great pluggers aren't on the field as much and you know you get a big heavy guy like like the bc back and uh you might give some up and they certainly did speaking of the, uh, the bc back aj dylan um, I think there are a lot of similarities between the Patriots and the Packers, minus who was under under center, of course. The Packers traded Devontae Adams in the offseason, and they went really young at receiver. They drafted Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. Uh, Alan Lazar was a holdover that they're escalating from a back-end guy into the front. And so the you can make the argument that the Packers' two best offensive players, skill position players, are Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So... Could you see the Patriots at some point doing what the Packers have done? They put both those guys on the field at the same time with Harris and Stevenson? Possible, maybe even plausible uh, or probable because um, they learned things, I think, last week with their best line configurations, which I think can speak to what you want to do for specialists behind them. You know, when you do the extra tight end stuff, when you do, when you lose one of your top two tight ends, uh, that may force your end to do this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But if Marcus Cannon is on the field as either now in for Isaiah Wynn or just simply alongside of him, uh, those are the kind of things that really lend towards goading the other side into a change, into a personnel change. And then your mismatches then become the second back, being able to be, oh, shoot, they put on, you know, they put on their bigger backers or their biggest defensive linemen. And now, the second back who's often the another tight end or or a fullback is now, you know, somebody as explosive as Ramondre. So it'd be interesting to see if they can lure people into that kind of world and really just bloody noses. Um, I, I know I just touched on that point about when by, by, by saying his name. And I, I think what they resolve with that going forward is probably one of the biggest stories of the offense, because I was always a very big fan of a win healthy when he was at left. He, his, his, he was so exceptional at matching feet. In other words, always cutting someone off and really anchoring well and being strong. And then, so not, in other words, not getting pushed back into the pocket. And then he was great in screens and stuff because it's just an agile, smaller tackle type. But he looks really, really uncomfortable to me on the right side. And I've had this conversation with, you know, former player friends and coaches and things like that over the course of this first month. And it just, it, it's something I experienced personally on, on a punt team, which I know is maybe not, a, not an, an, an imperfect uh, parallel to this, but I, I played right guard on the punt team for all through high school. I don't know if I did in high school, but all through college, all through the NFL. And then in my 10th NFL training camp, when I invariably was cut by the Jets, I played all summer at left guard and I hated every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 every single time where I was contacted by the guy in front of me and I was, you know, ready to shed, but shed, throw this guy off. My instinct and my body is squared to doing it the other direction. I could kick step the two or three memorized steps, but then once it became time to kick into instincts and just get rid of a dude and fly down the field, I wanted to throw him to the other side. I was like a judo guy with one move, you know, and <laughs> I'm, I'm 32 or whatever at that point, and they're telling me to flip it the other side. I can memorize the kick steps, but when it's time to get the dude off me, I'm I'm a stronger toss to the other side. It really was. And I noticed this with Isaiah. Muscle memory, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not just the legs. It's also from you punch a little stronger, how you coordinate when you're in sort of uh, 
rally mode, I would call it. Basically, you're out of the, the normal first few sequences, and now you just have to fight. Um, Isaiah has been opening the gate. And, you know, big guys out there, people who played offensive line maybe in high school have heard this. We coach it in youth football. You really need to kick deep enough to always keep your defender at about 2 o'clock. And if you watch those couple of those really bad ones from Isaiah, granted, Gary is in a super wide nine, but you got to deal with it. You got you still have to defend it. You see him, air quote, opening the gate almost on the second kick step. Opening the gate means like basically his hips will open and he'll be almost pointing his hips at the sideline. You really want them to kick so deep that you can keep the defender at two o'clock. So it's really your body between him and the defender or, and the quarterback. So um, he looks like he strains to get to the second. And when he, you know, it's just like you said, Mike, muscle memory. He doesn't go to the third. He just kicks into instincts and damn it, I got to get this guy. And now he's running with him, which is just not real good blocking technique. And he keeps giving it up. So you're seeing the guy struggle at a position he looks really uncomfortable in. So it's interesting to me, you know, if I don't think they ever go back to the situation where they flop him to left, because it looks like Trent is comfortable wherever the hell you, hell you put him. A win who can always be a tackle. I think we should remember that, although he has been the right guard right now. You could always pop him back out to right. Marcus is a stud, but Marcus has had in later you know, life uh, issues with injuries and staying healthy, and he's just older. That's part of it. So did an awesome job in Green Bay. Can you count on him to do that for you know 14 more weeks or whatever it is? That might be a stretch. So I think they have to resolve that configuration. And I don't think the door should necessarily, necessarily be closed on my, my end of it, just from an outsider's point of view of mm-hmm. – Isaiah back at left and trying to right. If everyone's more comfortable in those scenarios or one is way more comfortable than the other, I wouldn't want to think that they would close the door on that, but I guess we'll all see. There's been a lot of virtual ink spilled and a lot of verbal diarrhea spewed by the talking radio men about Matt Patricia and Joe judge working on the offensive side of the ball. I think after Sunday's game and you can, we there are arguments online about the play calling with your third string quarterback on the road in overtime who's in his fourth <laughs> game as professional all the yeah. hand wringing and the shoe pissing be that as it may um i think we're going to hear less and less as the year goes on and especially if, if, when mac gets back and he's healthy and he's right about patricia as a play caller because he did a pretty nice job calling a game on sunday from a layman's eyes yeah i, I would say he really has been if you were this, if you were selling the narrative that they were idiotic to do it, if you were selling the narrative that uh, they didn't know what they were doing and you did, uh, that 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 Matt was just, you know, from perspective or experience incapable of this, or this would be way overhead, or he's going to have to work through years of of training wheels here before he'll actually be good at it. If that was your thesis, and uh, again, everyone knows, I you know, I've been at Nesson for twelve years, and I started this barbecue rub company. So this was the first year in a dozen where I hadn't been at camp. Uh, I'm just watching stuff on TV like everyone else. So it's not, it's not as if I could jump in and say, you know, it's, this will be fine. And this is what actually was going on. Camp may very well have been extremely rough. These inner squad stuff may very well have been very rough, but what made my antennas go real high was just sort of the agreed upon consensus of narrative narrative, especially with some of the more consistently irresponsible types. And, and, you know, you know me, Mike, there's, there's several in this market who aren't that at all. And we always know I'm not, I'm not making broad brush here, but we knew that we know who the usual suspects are. So, but, but the point being they'd agreed upon collectively that this was stupid and that how dare they attempt this. And one of the things that always kind of rubbed me and, and, and when, well, before I get to that point, when they got the first piece of real information about 
uh, if this person was in need inept, you know, like just, wow, this is over his head. He just doesn't think from that scope, his, his concepts he used in amateurish, they had, look like they have no clue. The opening drive of this season was a five first down drive to the, to the far 25 and the place that they've had hell, uh, luck lately. Uh, and then a, a blown interference call or hold call that would have been in the end zone that would have been just basically walk down the field and score seven after you've sold for six months that they're idiots for doing this. And in that moment, you know, I'm watching the feeds, watching it in Twitter like everyone else. That would be the moment if you're really just covering this and not attempting to sell something or you, there's no agenda here at all. You would say, well, that was excellent. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a that's a perfectly well engineered thing. And that's got to be coming from the quality caller. So tip of the cap there. It was dead silent. And when you don't just cover it when it's good and when it's bad, that, that starts to tell me something else is going on here. Just been around it too long to, to notice if you've been pushing segments or doing columns or doing podcast stuff. And the thesis is, fuck Matt, Patricia, that kind of thing. Or you've changed that person's name into sort of uh, an implied meaning. Like you don't even say anything about it. You just say, Patricia, and you're supposed to have sort of this response from it. I've seen that with Arrington. Kyle Arrington was the old one. Where you're, all you were supposed to say his name, and everyone was supposed to, in agreement, say he sucks or something like that. And and you know that that I've seen that too many times. And it, over the years, it changes who gets that moniker. But Matt was getting that, and I was like, Are, are you fucking kidding me? This is one of the smartest coaches that the, the thousands of Patriots players that have come to that building are going to encounter. And the thing that really really struck me was I know I know you know it's it's being a former player and still living in the market we've got our text chains and other guys that I'm around all the time and you know if and a lot of these guys have played for Matt uh, or if not played directly for him have been around him in the building for a decade themselves um, they if people wanted to know how Matt was going to handle this uh, if Bill was indeed crazy for trying this you would have asked them, you know, you would have, there are so many hundreds of players who would have loved to put a microphone in the face and some may have even been willing to do it off the record and say, you know what, this guy's going to crush it. Uh, and, and alternatively, if you wanted to find a few that might predict that he'd suck at it because their view is he wouldn't, you know, whatever, whatever the thoughts might be, those articles, column segments were available to be had, but they didn't ask. <laughs> I don't, and I think you would Great find point you would find absolute consensus out there with people that had been exposed to him that you can't find a guy that is going to blow right through this. Of course, he's a full, he's a full concept dude. He's a full system guy. He sees football and that's not the head coach part. That's not the management part. That's not the choosing personnel part, but from understanding the scheme and understanding in a minute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I coached offensive line a little bit early on. I was a D coordinator, whatever. Ask me to do corners this year. Fine. Ask me to do receivers this year. Fine. I mean, I use this example of Brian Dable. Brian Dable is, I love him to death, uh, but him and Matt came up together. You know, those guys are near parallel within a couple of years of one another. And I don't think there's any single person that's gone through that building that has, you know, decades of experience, thousands upon thousands of hours with both of them that would say that Brian Dable is some sort of, you know, mentally superior offensive mind than Matt, these guys are, are very similar to one another. And I think most would actually say Matt's a little smarter. That's not the knock Brian, but this Matt's that kind of dude. He's the kind of dude that'll be able to explain every position's job <laughs> and, and doesn't matter that I did or didn't do it. So that's what you should expect if you'd work professionally with this guy. That's, 
that's what any coach alongside of him would have told you. That's what any player would have told you, other than some people just hated him personally, I think, in Detroit and in a different role, like we mentioned. But when I started to get wind of that, it's like, are, we, are you even really trying to educate fans? Are you really trying to or more or more wish it into existence? Are you trying to 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 you know sort of only tell the story? And I, I would use this uh, Packers game as a great example of that. If you have a play deck of 45 plays or 48 plays or whatever it may be, there ain't a coordinator in football that's not going to have five, six, seven, or eight that you were that you wish you had back. But when you get to the point where you're rolling aces, I mean, you know, some of your biggest plays, they're just wide open dudes that that Bailey's able to hit, that Brian was able to hit before he got knocked, that some of these run scheme stuff that hit backs directly to five and six yards before they got to make their first cut. That means the coordinators calling right play, right concept versus right look. And when you get to the point where you're really happy about 35, 36, 37, or 38 of the calls out of 45, you're in a really high percentile of, mm-hmm. of what to expect from any coordinator. So I think Matt has really been doing a, an excellent job. Granted, when your quarterback turns it over, a young guy in the league for 13 months, two terrible times a couple weeks in a row, it sort of undoes all, undoes all the other progress. But I really think there's going to be a lot of silence, Mike. We're just going to hear, we're not going to hear many copas. We're not going to hear, you're just going to hear a lot of this kind of analysis. 45 good things happened, but these four questionable things did. And we're going to spend the week concentrating on those four because it's confirmation bias of what I was telling you was going to be the case back in July and August. So a lot of uh, pay no attention to those 20 really, really high competency stuff that you would never expect to see out of the guys who've only doing it for a month. It's just, uh, it's, uh, that's a lot of rambly talk for me to simply put, it's dishonest. It's dishonest. That, that's the word. There is intellectual dishonesty in Boston media. You said it. It's it's about selling things. The auto glass and the bonus supplements aren't going to sell themselves, Matt. You got to you got to get the clicks. And right. to to make your point, to put a bow on your point about Patricia, uh, the third and five in overtime before they punted it back to Green Bay the last time. Hunter Henry's wide open crossing the field. Zappy got flustered, wasn't able to get the ball off. And you know, again, there's they had a guy running free, and maybe if even Hoyer's on the center. Uh, something's different there. Um, yeah. Mike, I would say this. I want to be really super clear with this because this is not just whatever Bill decides is probably great and you should roll with. I mean, people make mistakes in in judgments and analysis all the time. I just think that it was it was absolutely asinine, irresponsible and a real poor gamble, if you want to put it from a wagering perspective, to presume that Bill, not with a draft pick where you watch some college tape, talk to a couple other people, interview them a couple of times and make the guess that it'll work for you. That's different. A guess that a person you would work you've worked with for thousands of hours mm-hmm. will not be able to teach what you want or translate what you want or respect or respond in live time to what you need. That is an outrageous outsider claim. It's just outrageous. I mean, I get that he misses on draft picks, everyone does, but that's parcel information. To say that this guy had that much information was just out of his gourd to do it. I think you're out of your gourd to presume he's wrong and you're right. I, I just that that doesn't make sense to me. So just let this thing mature; it'll go where it's going to go. But uh, I, I don't expect that Matt won't do a very competent job. The Lions are next. The Lions are absolutely—they can't stop anyone, and other teams are having trouble stopping them. So it's it's going to be quite a contrast. Jared Goff's a, a veteran quarterback. Um, if Bailey Zappi, now I want to ask you about Tua before the uh, his concussion stuff before the uh, the pod is over 
But if Hoyer can't go because of his concussion, what difference will having one week to prepare as a starter make for Bailey Zappi? It's twofold, unfortunately. This isn't the kind of thing you're going to want to hear from me if you're you're looking for some you know positive spin that it'll be great. I think sometimes the one week no practice can help the young guy as much as the defense against him. But what what can be tougher for that guy? Of course, he'll be more comfortable. It'd be great for him to get more reps. Although they were a little candid in the, in the post uh, about how many how much work they got for Bailey alongside Brian and you know in the in the event that it happened and it did. Uh, so it's not as if he was sort of sprung into action, much like Brian was a, a year ago excuse me, two years ago with uh, with the COVID thing in Cam. Um, this was one where they were grooming alongside Brian in, in the possibility that what went down would. Um, what happens a lot now is another team has all the film and they see how incredibly limited what the looks you were trying to give this young guy were. That now, you'll expand, you'll expand it a little bit, but they may just go out of their way to take away those sort of next level reads and or take away the first read. They'll get a beat on what you're going to do because, you know, your, your, your playbook has to shrink. I often think that second week after you got to see the guy's capability, he's and you know, I went back and was just sort of watching highlight decks of his best plays. And most of them aren't right in sequence. Most of them are not broken play run around for 12 seconds, but sometimes just re-step and reset the pocket and find that guy. There wasn't a lot of third step hits out, rip it in. Um, you know, the, the scheme plays where it's the, the burn, the born, uh, you know, reverse kind of thing, jet motion stuff or the, the double fake screen play back to Ramondre where you get a chunk play. Uh, a lot of the inside zone stuff where it's not really RPO, it's just some movement. And then you gash them on the inside and, and Damian goes and gets 15. Those were the biggest plays. So if there's some sort of thought that, hey, they're not going to let him get deep into reads. They're certainly not going to send four down the field and let him take choices. It's going to be relatively easy to game plan against them. All that stuff leads me to say, run the living shit out of the ball. You know, <laughs> load they're it good up. at it. They're good yeah. at it. Exactly. And they got the bodies to do so. And that will that will aid the young guy so much. You don't want to put him in a situation where he has to multi-read or he has to figure out where pressure is coming from, which can be you know terrifying. I think a, a really good example of a guy that's not yet seen the field, the whole field, is the, the sack that he that he gave up that was the fumble, um, where Wynn gives it up pretty quickly there on the right. He was when you that was not a blindside hit. That was to his open right side. He was a little bit back at 11 o'clock or so. So he was left side at least staring. But your periphery would have to be at least be aware of this, that your protection is just fanning to that side and you only have one. He seemed completely oblivious to everything that was happening right of center, which sort of says, you know, he's sort of one eye in this stuff, which a defense is going to say, man, you know, they're going to keep it exceptionally vanilla, which will make it exceptionally easy for us, especially if you throw in a few pressures that this kid's never seen in his life. Um I think people are going to be disappointed if they're like, let it go and just throw them out there and do some uh, Magikowski or whatever kind of thing, run around and make some plays kind of stuff or Flutie kind of ball. Um, I, I tend to think they're going to want to minimize the turnovers, win it with the running game. His big plays will come hard, uh, hard sell play action, um, hammering in the game plan stuff. And hopefully Jared Goff will throw him a couple on Sunday. What about uh, as a former player, someone who's who played a long time in the NFL, how did you think the Dolphins handled the Tua concussion stuff? It was pretty – what happened Thursday night, last Thursday night in Cincinnati was really eye-opening. And he was out on the field 
four days after having a Dr. Evil quotation fingers neck injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Mike, the very first thing, I'm, I'm a little all over the board on this one because he clearly had a motor problem from the two week from the Buffalo game, I think it was the one that was that came before the one that we all saw, uh, where he he got up, looked woozy, runs 10 yards, and has that awkward stumble where it's like, whoa, he's off on his feet, kind of thing. And I'll add this detail, and it's certainly not to defend the 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 neutral guy, the neutral neuro guy who got fired. Uh, but I've had this experience. Um, I've got C4, C5. So right here in my neck, I've got a collection of spurs that were always a problem for me too close to my spine to, uh, to, uh, to have surgery on. And I would often have, I hit the guard, hit the wedge. I am the wedge. I have those kind of collisions. And this is later in my career on that contact. It would hit the neck thing just the right way. And I would lose feeling in my calves down to my feet. And it would happen a lot on defense. This is in New York. And I hit, have a good play where I hit the guard. And I go back and stand in the huddle. And I need that 30 seconds to get the feeling back to my toes. But while I'm standing in the huddle, I can't feel my feet. And if I take those steps when I can't feel my feet, I, I wobble. And I probably look like what someone would say was concussion. But it was. And it was my neck. And I know if you're having some sort of nerve or disc or issue, you can have that sort of same thing. Again, not to defend. So even knowing that, if someone had seen what I was hiding from, I guess, from my team in New York, you would pull me too, right? So I'm not saying that it may not have actually been a, a concussion the first time. It could plausibly have been something or a, con a combination of things. You still need to remove the guy. You know, you still can't leave him out there, especially when the world is watching. It's the quarterback and he's jogging back to the huddle. Uh, it's they're literally paid people who are sitting on the sideline to spot that, to not have done it. For whatever reason, he was on an issue. You got him out. Got to get him out. But if if he passes all the neural, and it was indeed maybe a little head bump, but something where he could get through the, the stuff, uh, I I can I can allow myself the possibility that that was okay. Um, but the, the tough part gets into if you're having that kind of compression issue. Call it back. Call it upper back. Whatever it is presuming some sort of disc or neural thing. Uh, how does that not get you out as well? Because if you're, if you're, if you're that off on your feet, it doesn't really matter if it's head, neck or back, right? It's something and you shouldn't be out there because the next hit, whatever you're going to take is going to be a major problem. He avoids it. He has the wonderful sort of comeback thing, but I, I had that sort of, you know, uh, grinds my gears kind of reaction to it where if everyone me, myself included, was just so fired up that they were so egregious and wrong to have done it. And if we're of that mind now as media, uh, you know, covering this game, if we all saw that, knew it was wrong, believe we're going to jump on them if anything happens later. When we see it happen in Buffalo and we see them continue to use them, we can't pile adulation on him for whatever he does after that point. Because my view is you've then encouraged it. So you don't, I think you lose the opportunity to later say, you never should have put him back in. Well, here's the thing. What runs through a player's mind is once that happened, I had crazy success. I'm on every highlight show that week because the big comeback they had and they beat their, their rival. You get multi-touchdowns. You're in running for offensive player of the week, whatever it is. Everyone loves me. You're open in the next segment. You're going to play on Thursday. I'm the promoted guy on the billboard. It's, 
being it's basically going to get the ratings number it is because Burrow, it was, Tua. Tua, yes. Right. Burrow and so, Tua, that was built. Exactly. So if that had not been the case, it's the, the entire mechanism, the entire sort of atmosphere of NFL was pushing the work he did after what they're now saying he should have never been put back in for. And then also continuing to promote the work he did after it. And then using that to draw eyeballs to the next game, which is the standalone game. Then when he gets hurt and it's ugly and it's terrifying, and I can't even imagine being a spouse or, or you know, a kid and not seeing that be my dad and how terrifying that would be. I completely get it. And at that moment, yeah, heads have to roll. Uh, and, you know, that's why they, they, the neuro got, got dropped real quick. But I also look and say, man, you don't get to – you don't get the finger wag at them as much as if you've been promoting his inclusion here because other quarterback guy that has something comparable happen to him in some of the market later this year is going to remember that after it happened, he got three touchdown passes in a fourth quarter comeback and he was a hero. And that's the thing that he'll remember the most when he's retired and that stuff registers. If it's handled differently, a little bit, maybe like your old streaker <laughs> reference earlier, <laughs> the set, they handle them by not covering it. Right. They say, you know what, to not promote it, we're not going to put it on screen. We cut it off, let social media deal with it. But if you handle that this way for, for guys that have what you deem to be something that he shouldn't be back in, if we're going to have some sort of public consensus, he shouldn't be back on the field, well, then stop promoting. Stop. Don't don't give adulation for anything he does from that yeah. point on. Because if you do, it's really hard to say that, you know, you shouldn't have played him. Well, you shouldn't have promoted him because your promotion, I think, is part of the impetus that, that makes a guy want to continue to I be out there. I agree. I, I, I thought the Dolphins handled it particularly poorly. Uh, Elaine Bennis's uh, boy from the interracial relationship, uh, Mike McDaniel, talking about watching a screen on the plane ah, on the I way back after the tour had had a concussion. I mean, there's a reason why Bill Belichick subscribes to the Sergeant Dignam uh, credo to the media, feed him shit and keep him in the dock as it is. I mean, I, I really couldn't believe the how McDaniel came out afterwards. It was it's really reeked to me as a CYA maneuver. Well, the, per, the 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 thing that was most unwise about it is Mike, you can tell, is still in that mode of trying to make friends with everyone who covers him. He, he's, he's still there. Make everyone like me. See how affable I am. See how smart I am. See how see how much, you, you know, I'm just a it's guy. It's a sales job. It, exactly. And honestly, I think you learn as a coach deep into this that that doesn't serve you very well. It doesn't. And because they may get sued, quite frankly, and you you have a very rigid set of regulations when the, in the event of something going down, you're now management. There's now employment law in your state that you have to be uh, abiding by. Every high school, I know this from coaching youth football, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. The last thing on earth we all know this. You have to take the little concussion test as coach. Uh, you're sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of the basic. Uh, LSATs of head stuff, I guess. And all of us know from the youth level on that screens are off, off limits for, for days, if not weeks, after a kid's had one. So for him to get up there and think he's being hilarious and say, oh, he's watching McGruber and he was laughing through it on the screen. Like literally every coach in America was cringing when he said yeah. that. Not just for, hey, you're going to get shit for it. You may have just opened up the team to liability because you were aware you didn't follow the protocols yourself. You can't, you kind of lost sort of the plausible deniability about, Hey, the independent guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then so we're good. No, no, no. You knew he'd been at the hospital. You brought him back in and you're immediately violating what would be something again, that a youth football coach would not, would know much less an NFL one. So 
honestly, sometimes the candor, it ain't helping you. They ain't your friend, man. They're gonna, they're not there. They're not there to be your buddy. Uh, they're gonna cover you hard. Uh, and if things go south, they'll blame you. So you just and don't NFL need- state-run media, the Schefters and the Rappaports and the Breers of the world certainly aren't gonna uh, go Woodward and Bernstein on this stuff. It's just uh, we're on we're on to the next Thursday night game. And oh, look, Ohio State's playing football this weekend. Do you mind if I hit oh. you with some rapid fire slash uh, quick thought questions? Do it. Do I have uh, any quick thoughts? I'm not sure. I'm, most people would accuse me of having no quick thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see if we can facilitate that. You were in uh, camp with the 99 Rams, uh, kind yeah. of there at the creation of the greatest show on turf. Yeah. Did you know then that something special might be happening? No, not at all. Uh, I, I was there when when sort of uh, the, the sky was falling and Trent got hurt, and uh, I, I didn't know who Kurt was really other than he went to you and I. And, uh, you know, I had a soft spot for him because I was an Iowa guy. But uh, I don't think they knew it either. Remember, that team prior, the year prior was 2-14 and 14 and did a walkout of practice the final week of the season. And then this is an injury that's happening in training camp the next year. I don't think anyone knew. You were on the 2006 Jets that lost a, a really competitive wild card, wild card game at Gillette in 2006. What was it like from the other sideline playing against the Patriots? I'm supposed to be fun and affable here, right? And this is going to be a morbid <laughs> recollection, so sorry about that. Uh, my father-in-law died that week. So uh, that is a terrible memory. <laughs> so when, whenever uh, that AFC uh, was a wild card or was it a, whatever that first round game is, the, the Jets and Wild card divisional, I just stepped in it big time, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's on me. Which, uh, whichever it was, the, the Asante Samuel interception down yes. at, down the home sideline, the place was just whipping as, as much as I ever remember it. Um, that, that was a terrible memory for me. So we'd had an awesome season. We'd beaten the, we'd beaten the uh, Patriots up there on their last grass game. Uh, it was yes. a little mud crust, and then we co- prompted them to rip it up and put up, uh, put turf down before they game came back for the next home game. Came up there. Uh, my father-in-law died during the week, the playoff week, and I'm a captain for the Jets. And uh, so you have to sort of face the firing squad kind of deal with the tough New York media. And, and uh, I was home burying him, I believe, on Thursday. So back with family in, in Iowa on Wednesday. Just it was a, an accident on a train at work for him. It was just a oh, punch of a deal. Um, so I came back for just the Friday practice, had to face the media because I was the last captain that hadn't actually faced him. So I got thrown up there all by myself, teary eyed, don't know where the hell I am. Don't want to be there going to the game. I, it's a tape. It's the one, it's the one game, Mike, I've never rewatched. Um, I think I got blown up on the opening kickoff by Heath Evans. He told me about it later. I don't remember it, but <laughs> it's, 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 it was not a fond. It was the game that I just don't even remember and don't want to remember. Let's put it that way. Well, we'll never speak of it again. I promise you that. <laughs> Do the who was your favorite who was your favorite teammate in the NFL Ooh, uh you know is Larry Izzo and I had sort of a, a cool connection just because we were both teams guys and both sort of a little overlooked types and from smaller schools albeit Rice is, is an FBS but is and I saw side eye and a lot of stuff and uh uh he's just a he's a wild man uh great dude absolutely adores the game loves it he's in there now uh, into it deep there out in Seattle is there as our special teams coordinator, but you know, Larry and I went through a lot of shit over the course of those six years. I guess five of them together with New England because he was still in Miami my first year. That's right in 2000. But uh, you know, it's a funny dude. Keeps it light. We all su- we suffer the same stresses. I think the same about 
weekly are they going to cut me or <laughs> i heard i heard there's a group of guys working out on on tuesday and oh shit there's a linebacker in there <laughs> we went through that stuff for years and uh, all the camp uh the camp stresses of watching rosters and like trying to figure out who we're going to make cuts and all that stuff and as you get older and get a little more established that's not the case but uh he was we were definitely sort of a, a sidecar kind of thing through all that and uh We'll always appreciate it. It was a great, great guy to play with. Izzo was, was a many-time pro bowler in special teams. The one thing I remember him of, I remember you returning a fumble against the Giants in a rainy October game in 2003. The end of that year, I'll always remember Izzo in the 31-0 flip-around game, Izzo picking off Trent Edwards in the end zone as Buffalo was trying to put up meaningless points late, and they were trying hard to put up meaningless points late. Yeah, so watch the rewatch that play on the interception. So when it, so that's we are uh, Larry and I were always on the the first team uh, goal line group. Goal line. So Larry would play cornerback, which you usually you know it's not really corner because you're not extended. Three corners, team. Larry, go. There you go. Exactly. So is is at right corner. I'm at right outside linebacker. I guess it's called. Um, and then Willie's moved down at end. Braves is probably opposite other side. But that was we were always on that, and that was a 31 nothing game. We still put our first goal line group back out for that play. If you rewatch the play, watch as Larry picks it off in that back corner. I cleaned off the, the tight end that was being targeted for that. So he's extended up. Larry gets it. And I came through probably a step or two late and just wiped him out. And then you see a little skirmish in that. I mean, TV kind of cuts it off, but I've seen clips of it. Uh, maybe it was in-house stuff where there was almost a little fight skirmish kind of there on the field because I'd had the late hit after the thing. Uh, I thought you were going to try to get some stolen valor for the pick there, but no, you weren't. Oh God, no! Oh God, no! That was all it is. But it was the it was the it was the funnest uh, celebration because you know Larry is Larry would be like he'd get carries on our punt fakes. You know he he'd come in at Mike a lot on uh, on 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 goal line plays and make run throughs. So he's a lot like sort of Zach Thomas body where he'd shoot, make a run through, make a big time play. Um, you know, in the event of injuries with maybe with Brewski or something, Larry would play Mac and nickel and dime. I mean, he was real good at his rangy and coverage. I mean, that's why he was so exceptional at, at, uh, at, at you know, at, at special teams. But he was a limited role guy. So when that guy gets in and makes a big time play and it's super emotional, just everyone's going freaking wild. And I got caught up in the moment and I just hit someone and like, oh, geez, now there's going to be a fight or I'm going to get a fine or I'm going to get something or whatever. You don't else. want a FedEx envelope in your locker on Tuesday, oh, I imagine. Yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst. It's absolutely. I still see FedEx envelopes and they give me high. <laughs> <laughs> what was the best game you ever played in? Uh, you know, I really enjoyed the uh, that the the Carolina one uh, when we played them in the, so the, the second Super Bowl, the one in uh, Houston. Uh, you recovered I, the I, onside's I, kick at the end, correct? Or you made the final uh, tackle. You made the final tackle. Final tackle, yeah. So I, I just liked it because as an analyst, a lot of the fans who have seen me over the years now kind of know that I, I like I like games that are tense and tight and don't have to be super high scoring. And that is really the one game where you have this massive dichotomy, like a first half that was just tough to piss an inch for really either side, really well played tight throughout and, you know, got a fight to get every yard kind of deal. And then the second half, just wheels come off. That's Rodney got injured. Uh, uh, was it Gino? Eugene Wilson, yep. I think, dislocated his thing or his shoulder, whatever it was. But the point is you lose your two back end guys, you're banged Or Sean up. Mayer's playing safety on the touchdown to Ricky Prohl there. Yep, yep. yep. So the, the point was it was sort of a 
wild style second, tight style tense first, and special teams plays a huge role. So that's always fun for me. I got in a lot of uh, real physical conversa- con- uh, confrontations with Will, Wiz- Will Witherspoon. Will's a really good linebacker, starting guy for them uh, for Carolina. They but- had a great front. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I played with uh, Jenkins later, he was with us in the Jets when I was down there. That is one of the, you know, biggest dudes I've ever seen. He's kind of like a Ted Washington kind of guy. Uh, just man, man. But, you know, Russ Hochstein, super tip of the cap, had an exceptional game against him in that that contest. Everyone was predicting. Remember, that was the Warren Sapp that's yep. telling you that Russ is just going to get destroyed because I know Russ and I played with him in Tampa and all that. And Russ had an awesome game against him. Him and, and Joe Andrewsy and all the guys did a really great job with a really good front. But I just thought there were so many layers to that game and so many yeah. twists and turns that it was just really one of the more fun ones to be involved in, especially since it went right down to the final play. And I've told the story a million times, but Rod Smart, you know, the he hate me guy was let, I believe he was the, the, the pro bowl kick returner that year for, for the NFC. Uh, and then Steve Smith who was, that was one of the first few years where he'd really moved into full-time wide receiver role. I think opposite Smith and Muhammad, they were really, really good receiver. They made Jake Delhomme look good. Exactly. And, and, and Ricky Prohl was the third. So they had a, they had a nice group, but the point I knew Steve prior to that is this, like one of the toughest guys to get on the ground as a punt returner from a couple of years prior. So we'd had a ton of issues with him as a special teams guy before he went into full-time role. So, so similar whether, career arc as Troy Brown. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what Steve was known for, we had actually kicked out of bounds against Steve in a regular season game, maybe a year prior or whatever it was, where we had bad luck against him, poorly covered a punt against him, and Bill gave the, we're kicking it out of bounds, fuck you guys. And, you know, Larry and I would argue, no, we, we kicked everyone, we cover everyone kind of thing. He's like, no, nah, dude, we ain't kicking him. So <laughs> Ken, Ken Walters is, is forced to kick out. But the reason I bring that up is because that final kick return, um, you know, a lot of the, the coverage, I think, ends uh, as Adam kicks the ball through the, the uprights. But there was actually that next play. And it was a relatively terrifying play because you have the, the top kick returner in the league back there and they just decide, screw it, we're going to put Steve alongside them. So they had two two deep guys, and it was as two as you could get in the game at that time, and we had to go cover it. And you just hate to be on some highlight where yeah. you know, some sort of like, yeah, Rocket Ishmael play at the end of the game ends up right. being the highlight of that game. So it was crazy tense, get them on the ground, and then then the confetti goes. So that, that, was, a, that was a super fun one. Well, I can still see Desmond Howard's uh, returns in Super Bowl 31 against the Patriots as a Patriots fan blazed in my memory. And to your right. point regarding the offensive line in that game, Brady wasn't sacked in Super Bowl 38 against that that excellent Carolina front. Buckner, uh, I believe, was part of that too, right? Buckner. Uh, yeah, Brenton Buckner. Yep. Well, that was him. Yeah, they, they, had, a, they had a really good front. Chris Jenkins. Yep. Um, who are you close? What teammate are you still really close with? Who's your closest former teammate? You know, this is going to sound bad, but uh, we it's more a group of guys than one. Larry was always one of my my closest friends on the team. But when a guy is a head or, you know, a coordinator on a team, we kind of shut down communication in season. Mm -hmm. That happens. You almost feel like a dick when you're reaching out because you, you sort of know their schedule. You know, I guess if you're if you're reaching out on a Tuesday to a player, you know, they've got time off. Sometimes Tuesdays are 14 hour work days for coaches. So it's like he'd be the guy that I would text and joke with in a minute, but I don't really talk to him from like July till February. So, 
the one cool thing I'll say this, and this is without naming a particular name, but we, what is a little unique, I think, to New England relative to some other markets, um, we have a really strong alumni group. You know, we've got 15-ish or so guys that I played with over the course of years, and some that I didn't, some that are that next era, but that settled. But we'll have alumni events, and there's there's a really healthy group, and it's almost always the same 15, 18 guys or so. You know, Cope is still around, Dan Copen's around, and Russ Hochstein's around, and Joe Andrews around, and Patrick Pass is around, and Troy, who now can't be around because he's a, he's on staff. But, um, you know, I go on and on. But there's basically a big group, and then the older group as well, like, you're, you know, Steve Grogan's and uh, – and uh, Pete Brock and Tim Cook, or I'm um, sorry, Tim Fox. And, you know, there's sort of that group is always there. But we do this thing called NEPAC. Uh, that's, I don't know what the acronym exactly stands for. It's basically the alumni group, but it's almost always the same 20 or 30 dudes. And it's a pretty, pretty tight knit group. Yeah. I remember as a kid going the even the alumni group back then, they would hold charity basketball games. And there was Steve Grogan dunking on, uh, well, actually, we had his functioning knee, Steve Grogan uh, skying over. Uh, helpless cops, cops, and firefighters. Uh, last, lapis, last, but not least, I bet you had a little Mosi Tatupu signing back, signing back there. Mosi used to play the shit out of it. He was really good yeah. in those like, pickup basketball and pickup softball. And God rest his soul, he was he was an awesome dude. But when I first retired, I got back out there. Mosi was always the first one out in those those charity games. Mosi, uh, truly one of the greats. Uh, last but not least, uh, you tangled with the artist formerly known as Upton Bell on Twitter. Uh, my last question is, will you, if you ever stop shaving your head, will you consider Upton's hairpiece? Will, will you have it bequeathed to you in his will? You know, one of the, uh, one of the weirdo things that you get access to being a player, I guess, and then settling in the market and, and, and in full disclosure, I was way more recognized, I think, out here for, for being on TV and Twitter stuff than people knowing the, the you know, a, a backup linebacker and special teams guy. Um, but I say that because one of the first things I got solicited with once I was doing TV was the, the hair, not hair club for men, but the, whoever the local guy is, I'm playing kind of name. I should Dr. Leonard. Yes. Cause he's done, he's done it with several other guys. Uh, I think Nank has done it. Um, didn't Wes do it also. Um, there's been a handful of guys that have gone to him and, and got filled out, but I mean, I'm, for the camera there, I'm, I'm going. It was actually a funny scene uh, a couple nights ago with my daughter. So I'll, I, I get caught a lot, like using the electric razor as I drive. Uh, any any um, mass cops out there, please don't pull me over for that. Uh, but it's I will often get just the Lone Ranger, or I'll just miss one, and you know there's a complete vacancy here, but there'll just be this one lonely soldier who will pop up, and I'll miss him three shaves in a row, and my daughter will come over and be like dad you missed it and she'll you know take a picture and she wants to do a tiktok with it or something <laughs> but uh, i i went through that conversation uh uh trying the hard sell trying to get me to do the kind of urlacher thing like urlacher was a shave his head guy but then went back in and filled it in with all the seedlings and i just i couldn't be convinced it just i'd been too used to shaving it down where i think if i showed up like that it would be that oh gosh you're wearing a piece aren't you kind of reaction <laughs> Yeah, I think a good decision, good call. Make make Brady decisions, not Bledsoe decisions. Sorry to slander one of your former teammates there. Uh, Matt, one one final question. Can Rub Smoke Love be the official rub uh, seasoning of Entitled Town? It can. I, you know, in, in, in a different time and place, if you had an official rub, that might sound a little weird, but <laughs> I've got them here with me. I, and trust me, I'm, I'm – uh, 
I've never been happier since retirement to get to do this stuff day in, day out. And unfortunately, Mike, I wish I could make this big announcement uh, about where you're going to find our stuff. Continue to look for it online at rubsmokelove.com. But uh, we have wholesale contracts. We're working on a, a, a multi-vendor agreement here where you're going to be able to buy them at stores out here in the region. I just am not at liberty to say where and what date they'll be on shelves. But uh, when they hit, it'll be all over my social media and then just go clean them out and we'll keep filling them back up. Beautiful. It's rubsmokelove.com. He is a New York Jet legend uh, and former, <laughs> former Patriot Mac Chatham. You have to play the hits, Matt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, rubsmokelove.com, entitledtown at gmail.com. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for you. The first, second time guest on Entitled Town. So thank you uh, again for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Wonderful honor. Thanks for having me, Mike. My name is Mike Irons and stay off the pike and please, for the love of God, turn off your radios. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team.